Welcome to the Crossroads Church Sermon Podcast. The following message is meant to help intersect your road with God's road. Crossroads Church gathers to discover God, grow in Him, and reach out to others. For more information, visit crossroadsstjames.life. We technically were coming to the end of Daniel here. Uh, I know there's three chapters left, um, but really... The three chapters are just one great big chapter. At least that's the way it was originally written, and then it was broken up, you know, quite some time ago, quite a while ago. And so um, uh, we've we're, we're coming to that point. Uh, but before we read Daniel, before we get into to the book of Daniel, let's look at an important situation uh, that took place you know, last week. We talked about how Daniel was praying about, um, you know, when did this, when did this uh, exile begin? Are we coming close to an end? How is this working? And uh, in Ezra, we kind of get an answer. Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 says this, In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom, And also put it in writing. Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has changed, he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. Verse 4, and let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides freewill offerings for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. So Cyrus right there, first year of Cyrus's reign. Remember the, the, the Medo-Persian Empire? You had the Medes and then you had the Persians. Um, the Persians really were the stronger arm. And, and though Darius is in charge of the area that was Babylon, uh, Cyrus was the one that was in charge of it overall. Um, and so Cyrus comes out and he says, if you guys would like to, head on back to Jerusalem and start rebuilding your temple and go ahead and do that. So when Daniel was figuring out that timing, apparently it was closer to the time when Daniel and his buddies were taken into exile. Now, it wasn't required that they go back. Uh, so when we flip back to Daniel today, we'll see that Daniel doesn't go back to Jerusalem and there's plenty of good reason for it. Um, he's older. Uh, it's probably kind of a tough journey for him to make. Uh, and Technically, what is he really going to do when he gets there? He's, he's, he's probably not going to be able to build much uh, to be able to do those kinds of things. And uh, he's not going to live long enough to even see the, the rebuilding of the temple. So, so he sticks it out uh, in Babylon, stays in that area, and uh, continues to work for the Lord there and continues to do what, what he was called to do while he's there. Now, we're not going to go back and forth between Ezra and Daniel right now. Uh, even though the first three and a half chapters of Ezra take place before what we are about to read in Daniel today. But I just wanted to kind of stick on this wavelength of the prophecy right now, because really that's what it is. It's, there's not a whole lot of uh, history at that time. It's, it's, it's mainly a prophetic word uh, that Daniel received. So I figured we'd just finish up Daniel and then move into the book of Ezra uh, in a couple of weeks here. So with that, why don't you turn with me to Daniel chapter 10. 
Like I said, there's three chapters left, but really these three chapters are just one great big chapter uh, that were broken up for some reason. I don't know. Maybe they were like, it'll be easier for people to read their Bible in a year if we break this up for three chapters. I have no clue why they did it, but it wasn't by God that they broke up chapters in the Bible. So, uh, And even as we read some of this stuff today, you're going to see that there's some really weird breaks. We don't know why they broke the chapter up in the way they did. Uh, but chapter 10, verse 1, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia's, in the third year, I'm sorry, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belteshazzar, and the word was true, and it was a great conflict, and he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. Verse 2, in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacy, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Uphaz uh, around his waist. His body was like burl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, and the sound of his words, excuse me, like the sound of a multitude. Verse 7, and I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men uh, who were with me did not see the vision, but a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. My radiant appearance was fearfully changed, and I retained no strength. Then I heard the sound of his words, and as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. All right, so first of all, Daniel's mourning. Why in the world is he mourning? Uh, the best answer that I could find uh, deals with the story in Ezra chapter 4. Uh, the Jews who had returned uh, and started rebuilding the temple ended up facing some strong opposition in the form of ridicule and persecution and had to stop building for quite a few years, actually. For about a decade, uh, they had to stop building. The ancient rabbis, like long before even Jesus walked on earth, had always taught that Daniel was probably mourning this situation. It's probably like, man, they get there and then they have to be stopped because these people are being a bunch of punks. Um, well, let's, let's mourn this. Let's, let's pray about this. Let's fast about this, uh, that, that this might be able to happen, that there'll be a breakthrough and, and everything will be good to go. And so he's spending this time in mourning. He's spending this time in praying. Uh, and there's a one point where he is over by the Tigris River, he looks up, probably in prayer, and a physical person shows up in similar fashion to Saul on his way to Damascus. You know the story in the book of Acts, Saul is you know, persecuting the Christians, and as he gets uh, on the road to Damascus to kill some more Christians, Christ stops him, right? Knocks him right off of his horse, bright light, booming voice. You can tell it's Christ. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? But what's up with the people that are surrounding Saul? What in the world's going on here? <laughs> they have no clue. They hear something, but it's, it's pretty crazy. Similar to here with Daniel. Daniel sees the vision. He sees this man. He's, he's got linen on. He's got this nifty gold uh, sash around his belt or around his waist that's from Uphaz or whatever it's called. And uh, he, he's got a booming voice. It's, it's very powerful. Everything is amazing about this person. But the guys that he is with don't see it. 
They just know something's going on and it freaks them out. And so what do they do? They're like, we're out of here. And they run and they hide. They're like, I'm not dealing with this. I don't know what's going on. Daniel's seeing something. I'm out. So they freak out and they run. The angelic being that looks like a man in linen speaks. And like the fans of Elvis and, Be- and the Beatles, Daniel can't stay standing up. As soon as he starts speaking, he loses all strength and he just falls face first pretty much asleep is what it says. He says, I fell on my face in deep sleep. Daniel can't stay standing up and he falls face first asleep. Now, listen, friends, this really isn't a position of worship. Hence, part of the reason I don't think he's seeing a pre-incarnate version of Christ. Uh, We'll see another reason why in a minute here. But it's the spiritual power radiating from this being. But Daniel can't stay in this position. There is a message from this angel. There is a message from this being. He needs to stand up and he needs to hear the message. So with that, we're going to get a glimpse into the spiritual realm that we have yet to see in the Word of God. And technically, we're never going to see again. Uh, So look at verse 10 with me. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly loved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God... Your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days, but Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and uh, and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days, for the vision is for days yet to come. So that was kind of interesting. If you've been in the Word of God before and you've read Daniel before, there's this interesting story here. It kind of seems as though God has placed angels over nations. Now, listen, I don't know if the prince of Persia is necessarily a demon, being that Michael is also called a prince. So you got the prince of Persia, you got Michael, who is a chief prince. Um, so it, it seems like it would be confusing if, if demons and angels are considered princes. I don't know. Uh, also, it's hard for me to imagine that God would give rank and file to demons. However, this is a pretty bitter argument as this angelic being needed to call in Michael for help. Help after 21 days. This is another reason why I don't think it's a pre-incarnate form of Christ. Christ wouldn't have needed Michael's help. He would have just whooped up on the dude and said, listen, here, buddy, I'm in charge. <laughs> this is how this works. So he needs to get Michael, and, and then later we'll see that this being is going to have to go back and fight against uh, this, this prince of, of Persia. The fight, uh, the the reason some believe that it's a demon, um, because of the fact that he has to go fight. So it's it's possible, but it's it's not necessarily so. The fight might be a verbal argument. Argument. We don't know if uh, we're going to get to the point of fisticuffs with these guys. If they're going to start decking each other in the spiritual realms, I I, I really don't know how that's going to work. So with that explanation, the angel then says he's come to give Daniel a message about the latter days for the Jews. Although the waves of the message will affect many nations, including us, including all the way to this time, this 
today, this message that this angel is about to, to, to give to him. So though Daniel is standing, he's unable to speak, and he's still feeling pretty weak. He's trembling in the presence of this being. Uh, and so look at what happens in verse 15. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of man touched my lips. Then I opened my mouth and spoke. I said to him who stood before me, O my Lord, by reason of the vision, pain, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me, and I retain no strength. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For now no strength remains in me, and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man greatly loved, fear not. Peace be with you. Be strong and of good courage. And as he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia, and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these, except Michael, your prince. So this is kind of an interesting thing. You know, when Daniel used the word Lord, it's really just a generic term for like, sir, like we would say, sir, dude. So again, we're not really sure if it is a pre-incarnate version of Christ, but it doesn't seem like it would be. It's just a very powerful angelic being. So, um, at the end, it's kind of hard to say what he means by, uh, there is none who contends by my side against these except Michael, your prince. But it is possible that within the spiritual realms, the angels of various nations have a bone to pick with God concerning him choosing Israel as his chosen people. So when this angel describes what's about to happen as various nations show up in power, right now it's Persia, soon it's going to be Greece, Michael is the only one of the quote-unquote nation angels who believes along with this angel that it's going to happen. Um, so there's this idea, you know, we talked about a long time ago, but you know, God, this is his chosen people of all the nations on the earth. He said, I'm chosen. I'm choosing these people. Everybody that's coming out of the bloodline of Abraham is my chosen person. And then we can go into a, a whole discussion for a couple of hours on how that has been transferred to those who believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and savior. Um, but we won't do that because, well, we don't have a bunch of hours to do that right now. And I think a chunk of you understand what, what's going on there, but, that was his chosen people. And, and listen, it, those, if, if it's true that God has placed angels in charge of nations, and you know they're not God. I mean, angels aren't God. It's very possible that these angels are like, are you kidding me, God? I mean, look at, look at the nation that you chose to be your people. They are serving this other nation. Like the, the prince of Persia might be saying, they were serving a nation that my nation just beat up on. <laughs> They just took them out. So why in the world aren't you choosing a nation like Persia? And pretty soon this prince of Greece is going to come up and say, look, we just took them out. So why don't you choose the Greece people? Why don't you choose us? Why are you choosing this nation? Why is this happening? And so 
you kind of see this dichotomy. You see this thing going on in the spiritual realms. I won't lie to you. I don't know if it's totally true or not. We won't know until we get to the kingdom of heaven. You want to know why? Because like I said, we don't see this again. We never hear about this again and how this works. And so these kinds of things are happening. And so when he sits there and he tells them all this stuff, hey, I got to go back to the prince of Persia and fight with him. And then, you know, the prince of Greece is going to come up. And the only person who's standing with me in this is Michael your prince. And so when he says your, it's not specifically Daniel. He's talking about the people of Israel, your prince. Michael is kind of your nation's angel, the person that the angel that watches over you. But look at how he, this angel describes himself in verse 11, chapter or chapter 11, verse one. And as for me in the first year of Darius, the Mede, I stood to confirm and strengthen him. So apparently this is kind of how it works. And he was like, you know, I was kind of in charge of Darius the Mede, and I'm seeing God work in this way. So this is how it's going to be, and this is how it's going to work. And so he comes up, and he, he, he explains all this stuff. Daniel is strengthened by his touch, by his words. And now he gets to stand here and, and hear this vision, see this vision. And, and it, I mean, it's kind of like... I feel bad for Daniel. He didn't have any popcorn. He didn't have any soda to drink while he's watching this. But the, this angel is about to to throw a lot of prophecy to him. And a good chunk of it is now our past. But then the other chunk of it is still our future. And so we have actually spoken of a chunk of what is about to take place in chapter 11. But to, to kind of pick up the pace today... Uh, and so that we're not here until midnight tonight, <laughs> we're going to see how all of this came to be. I've, I've put a little video montage together to kind of help us with this. Now, so to do this, you're kind of going to have to chew gum and walk at the same time, okay? So what's going to happen is I'm just going to, I recorded myself reading the scriptures from 11 to all the way to, to verse 39, but then on the screen, you're going to see how these prophecies were fulfilled through the course of history. Uh, after the time of Daniel, really after the time of Cyrus and all this stuff, you're going to see that happening. So we're going to play this little video for you um, just to kind of see how amazingly God prophesied this and how it all kind of came to be. Again, some of it, you're going to have to pay attention, try not to fall asleep and uh, try to read and, and listen at the same time. Uh, but hopefully you'll be as fascinated as I was when I was thinking about it and putting it together that, wow, this is this is pretty amazing. So go ahead, Stevie. Let's check this out. And I will show you the truth. Behold, three more kings shall arise in Persia, and a fourth shall be far richer than all of them. And when he has become strong through his riches, he shall stir up all against the kingdom of Greece. Then a mighty king shall arise, who shall rule with great dominion and do as he wills. And as soon as he has arisen, his kingdom shall be broken and divided toward the four winds of heaven. But not to his posterity, nor according to the authority with which he ruled, for his kingdom shall be plucked up and go to others besides these. Then the king of the south shall be strong, but one of his princes shall be stronger than he, and shall rule, and his authority shall be a great authority. After some years they shall make an alliance, and the daughter of the king of the south shall come to the king of the north to make an agreement. But she shall not retain the strength of her arm, and he and his arm shall not endure. But she shall be given up, and her attendants, he who fathered her, and he who supported her in those times. And from a branch from her roots, one shall arise in his place. 
He shall come against the army and enter the fortress of the king of the north, and he shall deal with them and shall prevail. He shall also carry off to Egypt their gods with their metal images and their precious vessels of silver and gold. And for some years he shall refrain from attacking the king of the north. Then the latter shall come into the realm of the king of the south, but shall return to his own land. His sons shall wage war and assemble a multitude of great forces, which shall keep coming and overflow and pass through, and again shall carry the war as far as his fortress. Then the king of the south, moved with rage, shall come out and fight against the king of the north. And he shall raise a great multitude, but it shall be given into his hand. And when the multitude is taken away, his heart shall be exalted, and he shall cast down tens of thousands, but he shall not prevail. For the king of the north shall again raise a multitude greater than the first, and after some years he shall come on with a great army and abundant supplies. In those times many shall rise against the king of the south, and the violent among your own people shall lift themselves up in order to fulfill the vision, but they shall fail. Then the king of the north shall come and throw up siege works and take a well-fortified city. And the forces of the south shall not stand, or even his best troops, for there shall be no strength to stand. But he who comes against him shall do as he wills, and none shall stand before him. And he shall stand in the glorious land with destruction in his hand. He shall set his face to come with the strength of his whole kingdom, and he shall bring terms of an agreement and perform them. He shall give him the daughter of women to destroy the kingdom, but it shall not stand or be to his advantage. Afterward, he shall turn his face to the coastlands and shall capture many of them, but a commander shall put an end to his insolence. Indeed, he shall turn his insolence back upon him. Then he shall turn his face back toward the fortresses of his own land, but he shall stumble and fall and shall not be found. Then shall arise in his place one who shall send an exactor of tribute for the glory of the kingdom. But within a few days he shall be broken, neither in anger nor in battle. In his place shall rise a contemptible person to whom royal majesty has not been given. He shall come in without warning and obtain the kingdom by flatteries. Armies shall be utterly swept away before him and broken, even the prince of the covenant. And from the time that an alliance is made with him, he shall act deceitfully, and he shall become strong with a small people. Without warning, he shall come into the richest parts of the province, and he shall do what neither his fathers nor his father's fathers have done, scattering among them plunder, spoil, and goods. He shall devise plans against strongholds, but only for a time. And he shall stir up his power and his heart against the king of the south with a great army. And the king of the south shall wage war with an exceedingly great and mighty army, but he shall not stand, for plots shall be devised against him. Even those who eat his food shall break him. His army shall be swept away, and many shall fall down slain. And as for the two kings, their hearts shall be bent on doing evil. They shall speak lies to the same table, but to no avail, for the end is yet to be at the time appointed. And he shall return to his land with great wealth, but his heart shall be set against the holy covenant, and he shall work his will and return to his own land. At the time appointed, he shall return and come into the south, but it shall not be this time as it was before. For ships of Katim shall come against him, and he shall be afraid and withdraw, and shall turn back and be enraged and take action against the holy covenant. He shall turn back and pay attention to those who forsake the holy covenant. Forces from him shall appear and profane the temple and fortress, and shall take away the regular burnt offering. And they shall set up the abomination that makes desolate. 
He shall seduce with flattery those who violate the covenant, but the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. And the wise among the people shall make many understand, though for some days they shall stumble by sword and flame, by captivity and plunder. When they stumble, they shall receive a little help, and many shall join themselves to them with flattery. And some of the wise shall stumble, so that they may be refined, purified, and made white until the time of the end, for it still awaits the appointed time. The king shall do as he wills. He shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god, and shall speak astonishing things against the god of gods. He shall prosper till the indignation is accomplished, for what is decreed shall be done. He shall pay no attention to the gods of his fathers or to the one beloved by, by women. He shall not pay attention to any other god, for he shall magnify himself above all. He shall honor the god of fortresses instead of these. A god whom his fathers did not know, he shall honor with gold and silver, with precious stones and costly gifts. He shall deal with the strongest fortresses with the help of a foreign god. Those who acknowledge him, he shall load with honor. He shall make them rulers over men, many, and shall divide the land for a price. All right, so all of that, of course, was prophetic to Daniel, but it ends up coming together like that. Now, I didn't explain some of that. If the guy had a name Ptolemy, he was the king of the south in Egypt, and if it started with Seleuce um, and the Antiochuses that were in there, they're all kings of the north. So it was this crazy stuff going on, and it's all recorded in history, and it's all there, but... We've talked about this before. We talked about Antiochus Epiphanes. A lot of people don't believe that that is the case. Many people believe that this scripture that was written from 11.2 to 39 there was, was written after the time of Epiphanes. They really believe that, listen, that was too exact. That was too good. That was too right on for, for that to happen. It's impossible for, for some folks to believe that. And so they come out and they're like, there's no way this, this actually happened. Um, People decide to pick and choose what they want to believe within the Word of God. And we know that there's a danger there, but before we look at that danger, I just want to review with you the power of the Word of God and how important it is. Now, like I said, there's a lot of blurring between Antiochus Epiphanes and the Antichrist, um, but we'll look more into that next week as we look at the more end-time prophecies that the rest of the chapter 11 and chapter 12 show. Um, so we're going to kind of go from this historical prophetic aspect here and kind of see how it applies to us. So again, let's talk quickly about what the word of God is. First of all, it describes who God is and why he does what he does. We can't get everything because he's too grand, but if we want to know him more and understand him and his workings more, we have to read the word of God. We have to get into the Bible. We have to open up these books and say, all right, Lord, I'm here to hear from you. I'm here to learn about you. So one of the first things that, that the Bible is, it's a description of who God is, why he does what he does. And again, we may not be able to get every single detail because our minds just aren't big enough to wrap around it, but, but that is the, the, one of the keys to what the word of God is. Second, uh, the word of God is our sustenance. When Jesus was tempted to turn stones to bread after fasting for 40 days, 
What does he say? Man doesn't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In Matthew chapter 4, 4. Now listen, that wasn't Jesus trying to be smart and cool and everything. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. That idea, that thought of the word being a sustenance for human beings has been around for, for, for ages, for a long time. If we want to survive, if we want to make it through this life, friends, we need the word of God. Third, it's the most important textbook you'll ever read. It's the most important textbook you'll ever read. You know, we, we sit there and, and maybe you don't often think about it as a textbook, but there's a lot of stuff to learn in here. There's a lot of stuff that we can use to apply to our own situations and learn from. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The importance to understand, you know, the idea that this is a textbook. You know, I, I say textbook because I couldn't think of anything else. You know, but you think about school and you think about learning and you always had those textbooks. Anybody remember having to put like paper bags around the covers of your textbook back in the day? Any, any of you guys do that? Yep, yep. My parents were not going to be spending on actual book covers. It's like, here's a paper bag, kid. We went grocery shopping. You can cover your books with that. <laughs> but um, the, the whole idea of a textbook to learn from it, that's what we need to get from this. And so often I think we, we miss out on this to learn, to, to, to feed our brain, to feed our knowledge, to feed our wisdom. We miss out on this. Lastly, the Word of God isn't really a self-help book. I don't want to call it a self-help book. I want to call it a God-help book. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says this, For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We want to know how to act. We want to see what morality really is. We want to try to figure this life out and understand these things. This is the book we need. This is what we have to have. Again, it's not a self-help book. You're not just sitting there and thinking, okay, this person had a really good idea, and I'm going to try to act on that. No, this is directly from the mouth of God. And so when you read this, this is a God help book. This is the, 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 the almighty creator knows how this life works, knows how this is going. I probably should listen to what he says and follow what he said. So that's, that's what we have with the word of God. It describes who God is, why he does things. It's our sustenance. It's the most important textbook we'll ever have. And again, it is, uh, it is a God help book. It, it brings us through this life. When we believe this and we act on it, our spiritual life can look a lot like this. This is not Jenga. This is Jumbling Tower. Sorry, I'm too cheap to get actual Jenga. But Oh my goodness. to fall yet. <laughs> all right. So you guys have all seen Jenga before, right? The jumbling tower. 
But when we decide to believe in the word of God and take every single bit of it as truth, this is actually, I mean, this can be pretty solid. You know, we can lean on it. We can push it. We can kind of move it around. Um, I mean, really, when we believe in the word and then we believe in the power of God behind the word, it almost acts like a glue. I don't have any glue. I don't want to use glue because I want to make a point. But when we believe in that and we decide to do that, we have a pretty solid foundation, right? But then what happens when we decide to start taking parts of that away? What if you look at that and, you know, that, that little video montage that we had and we start believing the other people that said, hey, listen, that really, I don't really think that happened the way that it happened. I'm sure he wrote that sometime later. It, you know, that's just, it's just kind of dumb. I'm just, I'm just going to get rid of that. I don't need that. How about the creation story? Man, that is one goofy story. I don't think that's how it worked. I think Darwin had something, and it was all good. How about, how about the flood? Psh, whatever. It was localized. There wasn't anything about the world in there. So people are just making stuff up, trying to get people to do stuff. Samson, dude strong just because he had long hair. What a joke. We don't need that one. Let's just get rid of that story. That's really stupid. Um, David and Goliath, are you kidding? Giants? Yeah, my kid can come up with a better story than that. Who gives a rip? And we just keep taking those out. We keep taking out those pieces of, I could care less about what that story says. I could care less about what God says there. It doesn't matter. And then as it happens, it starts to get weaker, does it not? And next thing you notice, you don't have something that you can stand firm on. Because you've decided to not believe in it. And you've decided to question God and say, I don't know about your word, God. And then what ends up happening is as we try to stand firm on that, it falls on us. Because we've decided to poke holes into all of it. And it comes crumbling down. Beyond this, when we get... Uh, when we get, we get into some serious trouble, when we stop not just believing in the word as, as actual truth, but actually believing in the power of God behind the words, what are we left with? We're left with that crumbling faith. We're left with something that falls. We talked about it on Wednesday night, uh, for those of you that were with us, um, on Wednesday night we discussed how often myself personally uh, comes across folks that are like, listen, my faith is just being shaken because I... God should be doing this right now. You know, this is what should be happening. God should be working in this way. God should, well, why do you think God should be working that way? And about 99% of the time that I talk to folks that say that, never say, well, this is what the word says. Usually it's filled with, well, that's just how I feel. I mean, if God is so great and God is so loving, this is what he should be doing for me. This is how it should work. Or I heard a preacher say this one time. Or I heard this story one time. Or I heard that. But they never go back to the word because they never open it. They never look at it and say, well, God should be doing this just because this is what I want. And again, their faith is crumbling. Because they've decided not to go into the word of God. They decided not to look at the word of God. Another, another thing that's a lot of fun are the people that like to pick and choose their favorite things in the Bible. I remember one time I came across a guy. I wanted to wring his neck. Um, he comes up, and he's just blasting his wife because he's like, your Bible says this. And he picks four scriptures that are just kind of out there that, 
one of them he's tried to say, well, the Bible's for abortion, and he throws up this scripture. I'm like, that verse has nothing to do with abortion, dude. I don't know what you're talking about. And uh, it it was it was one of the most irritating things. So so when people pick and choose, well, I like this and, and I like that, so I'm going to run with this and, and either try to refute you and who you are and what you believe, and there's only four verses, it's like, you got to be kidding me. So when people come up to me and they're like, hey, what do you think about, you know, Romans 8.14, what do you think that... What, what do you think about that? And I'm like, well, I don't have it memorized. So I think what I'm going to start doing is being like, you know what? What do you think about Genesis 47, 8? What do you think that's all about? <laughs> I mean, I don't know if you guys get that, but I'll get that every now and then from people just out of the blue. So what, what do you think about Philippians 2, 2 16? I don't know. What what does it say? I don't have it that memorized. I mean, I'm not very good at memorization as it is. So I think I'm just going to start turning back and say, you know, I don't know. But but what do you think about Genesis 27, 12? I don't know. What, pick one. Exodus 18, 5. I don't, what, what do you think about that? You know, it's, what's, what, well, what does it say? I don't know. But if, if we're going to, you know, test each other that way, let's, let's start doing, let's start doing this. Listen, friends. The Bible isn't just about knowing the stories. You know, there's a lot of people out there that know the stories. You know, if you grew up, you know, Lutheran, Catholic, whatever it may be, you know, and, you know, they have their confirmation classes and those kinds of things. You know, I mean, just growing up at church, you know, you go into Sunday school, you know, all of our kids are hearing those stories and stuff. You know, as we, uh, as we go through the Bible, you know, as we, you know, give them their lessons and everything, it's great. You know, it's not just about knowing those stories, though, friends. It's about understanding what they're about. And you're not going to get there without reading or listening to the actual Word of God. I know some of you, it might be hard. It's like, man, I'm not a really good reader. I stumble over my words a lot. Listen, there's a lot of things now where you can listen to the word. You can hear it. I mean, that's, you know, technically that's what the Bible says, right? How will they... How will they get saved unless they hear the word of God? So whether you read it, whether you listen to it, you've got to get, you got to get into the actual word of God. You know, movies, TV shows, devotional books, Christian self-help books, all these kinds of things, they're great. Uh, even preaching, you know, they're good, they're, they're needed, they're good to have, but they are not the word of God. They're not, you know, um, we've come around and we, we like the chosen. We, we, we started watching this third season. I don't know if any of you have seen it. Great show. It's good stuff. It's, it's, it's good. But like most anything, there's some poetic license within this stuff. So, I mean, it's, it's fine. It's good. It's not like I'm like, don't ever watch the chosen because it's not evil or anything, but, um, but it's still, that's not the word of God. The word of God is the word of God. And you got to make sure that you don't replace the word of God with these other things that are out there. Um, I've never been huge in the devotionals, and I've always been kind of disappointed because it's typically, here's this verse, and then you're going to read 10 pages of what this person thinks about this verse. It's like, no, I want to hear the word of God. I want to know the word of God. I want to understand the word of God. None of these things, friends, will truly do what the word of God can do. And that is build your faith, especially if it's crumbling. 
It will build your faith. It'll make you strong. It'll help you. It'll help you stand. So often we just miss out on this because we don't get into the word of God. You know, as we face situations, as we face trials, you know, people want to kick out the Old Testament. And there's so many stories in there of people who overcame or who didn't overcome and succumbed to their to their, uh, to their temptations, succumb to things. And I, I, I think there's a lot of people out there that would be surprised to be like, really, that's how God reacted in that situation. Sometimes it was. Sometimes it was straight up harshness, sharp judgment, and this is what it's going to be. And at other times there were aspects of grace and, and mercy. And listen, this is, this is what we're going to do in this situation. So to say that we can pinpoint God and this is how God should work and this is how God should act just based on our own fanciful thinking is garbage. you got to be in the word of God. It's all right there. It's, it's, you, you've got to get into that word. And I want to challenge you, you know, each day, get into it. I mean, even if, you know, your schedule's busy, it's hard, at, at, at least get a chapter in. You know, just, just try, try your best to do it. I mean, we only, I mean, Sundays and Wednesdays, that's great. There's 52 weeks in the year. That's 52 Sundays. Uh, you're not always getting Wednesdays, so maybe another 40 Wednesdays. I mean, that's 92 92 chapters we can get through. And unless we're, you know, fortunate enough to have, you know, three chapters that were broken up or one chapter that was broken up into three, we can't cover it all in, in a year. We can't, we can't do any of that stuff. In fact, I would, I would challenge you and encourage you to not worry so much about getting the Bible done in a year. I would encourage you and challenge you to be like, you know, I'm going to read this so that I understand it. I mean, don't, don't get hung up on, I've set this goal and I got to get this done and, and do this. Because then you're missing it. You're missing it. Oh, great. I, I read Psalm 119. It took me five hours, but I, I read it. <laughs> it's the longest chapter in the Bible. It's very long. Um, but don't do it as a check mark. Look at it and say, Lord, I want to get to know you more. God, I want to learn how to make it through this life. Father, I'm reading something, and I don't know how that works. (laughs) I don't know how this story is going to do that. Please show me. Send your Holy Spirit to give me that understanding so that when I read it, I know what's going on. I mean, don't be afraid. You know, with the Internet, you all have, I mean, I don't want to give away my secrets, but you all have access to everything that I study (laughs) to give you your messages every Sunday. Um, I mean, Everything's out there now on the internet, uh, and you don't even have to pay for half of it. I mean, you can you can really study the Word of God and get into it without worrying. And if you don't have internet at your house, the library has it for free. So go to the library if you want to get it. I mean, it is there. It is available for you to dig deep into the Word and say, Lord, I'm not understanding this, and I don't. I'm not feeling like I'm hearing from your Spirit. Let me just see what some other folks have said about this scripture. Let me see what other folks are saying about this. But I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you. Don't fall for how the rest of the world kind of falls. And that's, you know, this is what God should be doing because I think this is what God should be doing. Maybe think more of what is God going to do based on what I see in his word? You know, how is God going to work through the course of this week? I don't have any prophetic word. Maybe you do. Um, But how is God going to work through the course of this week and and our government officials up there in St. Paul. How is this vote going to come down? 
And if it comes down on the side that I don't support, how am I going to react? What's what's going to happen, Lord? What's what's go to those scriptures and take truth in the word and say, you know, all things are possible. Look at the word and say, you know, he's there for you no matter how difficult it might be. He's going to be there for you. He's going to help you make it through. He may not make you rich at the end of it. He may not make you more powerful than anything, but he's going to give you a peace that passes all understanding, right? That's what you get with the Word of God. Understanding of who He is and how He works. And I want to encourage each of you to stay away from crumbling your faith by just picking and choosing what you like in the Word of God. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about, woo, let's get excited about reading the genealogies of whoever in the book of Numbers. I get that. It's, It's very hard. And the majority of the reason why that's there is to prove to you the truthfulness and the veracity of the Bible. But at the same time, understand that. You know, when Jesus was on earth, you know, so many people know the story of Jonah, right? I mean, even people that don't go to church know Jonah and being swallowed by a whale or a big fish, whatever you want to say. But then what does Jesus, how does Jesus use that? He talks to the Pharisees and he talks to this and he's like, this sinful generation wants a sign. I'll give them the sign of Jonah. What in the world does that mean? Well, you got to get into the word. You got to read the story of Jonah. You got to read what Christ says with that. You know, just as he was in the belly of the fish for three days, so will the Son of Man be in the belly of the earth, and then he'll rise again. That's the sign that this evil generation will get. What does it mean beyond exactly? That's why you got to dig into the Word. That's why you got to get into it. Don't just know the stories. It's fun to know the stories. I mean, some of them are pretty cool and pretty amazing. That whole prophecy thing that we showed you today and how that you know, all came to be and was fulfilled. I mean, it's absolutely powerful. But if you start saying, I don't know if that's really true, that's when it starts to poke holes in your faith and it starts to crumble your faith. Why don't you stand with me today as we close today's service? We'll look at the rest of 11 and 12 of Daniel next week and talk more about end time stuff. Uh, But today I just... I just really wanted to challenge you with the Word of God. And as, as I was writing the message, I was thinking, this might be a good time because, you know, this is about the time when people start falling off of their New Year's resolutions, right? I'm going to read five chapters a day in the Bible, and you're now at January 22nd, and you've read three <laughs> total <laughs> for the year. Don't get discouraged. Don't get caught up in, I have to get this done. Get caught up in, Lord, I want to know you more. Sometimes you never, you, you, might, you might not even realize it. You'll start reading and hours will pass and you've gone through a lot. And sometimes it's like, man, that was a really short time, but whoa, the Lord really spoke to me in those few verses that I got. I just encourage you to go after the word.